This podcast is from the RAND Corporation, a nonprofit institution that helps improve policy and decision making through research and analysis. Visit www.rand.org to learn more about us and to explore RAND's free online library of more than 10,000 policy reports and commentaries. Hello, I'm Krishna Kumar, the director of RAND Labor and Population. It's my pleasure to introduce tonight's speaker, Anna Maria Lusardi. She's an adjunct economist at RAND and currently holds the Dennett Trust Chair of Economics and Accountancy at the George Washington University School of Business. She has taught at Dartmouth, Princeton, Harvard, Columbia, and my own alma mater, the University of Chicago. She has been recognized for her contributions to the field by many fellowships and awards, including the Fidelity Pyramid Prize, an award given to authors of published applied research that best helps address the goal of improving lifelong financial well-being for Americans. And now, let's listen to her talk about financial literacy and the cost of ignorance. Thank you so much. I'm really delighted to be here and to talk about a topic that is very, very dear to my heart. Uh, Robert Lucas, a Nobel Prize economist from the University of Chicago, I wanted to make sure I cite that, Krishna, uh, once said that when you start thinking about economic growth, you cannot stop thinking about it and you cannot think of anything else. Well, for me, this has happened for financial literacy. I've been working on this topic almost for 10 years. And when I ask people what I work on, I say I work on financial literacy only. Um, and what I would like to do uh, tonight is kind of summarize um, in a few slides, not many, um, the work that we have been doing at the Global Financial Literacy Excellence Center uh, for the past three years, even though I've been working on this topic uh, for a lot longer. And it will be a combination of describing the state of financial literacy or perhaps I should say financial illiteracy, and then look at some of the solution um, to address, I think, this really urgent problem. What I would like to do is describe and set the stage for why this is an important issue. Um, and, you know, I'm going to say something very obvious, uh, which is that we live in a very different world uh, today than, for example, 20 years ago. Uh, in my view, one of the change which has been really, really important and certainly consequential for the importance of financial literacy is the change in the pension landscape. And in my view, going from a system of defined contribution um, is actually very important. So we went from a system where a CFO with an MBA in finance was making decisions about our pension to a system uh, that we have now where Joe and Jane are in charge of making that decision. And that's a very fundamental change. Um, it's not the only change which has happened. Um, also in the labor market, we see a lot more mobility uh, and clearly we, we need pension to be portable. But at the same time, we also see a big reward for skills. So for example, deciding uh, whether or not to invest in education is much more important than in the past. And we all witness uh, changes in the financial market. We are faced with mar much more complex financial product that we ever uh, seen before. 
So these are important changes. We live in a very different world. And it's a world that requires us to take a lot more responsibility. So one of the things I always say, we have become our own CFO. Um, and we have to make much more decisions than before. Some of these decisions actually are taken very early in life. In fact, in high school, today young people have to decide whether or not to go to college and how to finance that education. But there are so many more decisions that we make. So it's a lifelong decision. Um, and, of course, it's very important that we also consider what has happened, which is we have much more access, not just to financial assets, but also we have much more opportunities to borrow. And the problem with that is that it charges higher interest rate than asset, and we have witnessed, of course, a very large increase in debt, not just among the young, but throughout all the age group. Um, and these decisions are clearly complex. So financial literacy is an essential skill today, much more than in the past. But I think the question that perhaps was not really asked is, but how literate are people? Um, are they equipped to make this important decision that we ask them to make, often as early as age 15? So one of the things I'm going to tell you is the definition of financial literacy. Um, and the reason why I'm telling you this is because anytime I give a talk, somebody asks me, well, what does it mean to be financially literate? So we have, we have heard this question so many times that we finally sat down and tried to define what financial literacy is. In fact, we were asked to do so by the OECD because in 2012, they added to what is called the Program for International Student Assessment a new topic, which is financial literacy. I don't know if you are familiar, but the OECD every three years measures the knowledge that 15 years old have in the topic they think is, are important to live in today's society. So they measure knowledge of math, uh, capacity to read, and uh, to understand, in a sense, uh, literature and also a knowledge of science. In 2012, they have added financial literacy. And so we had to define what financial literacy meant. And I'm going to give you the definition that this team of experts uh, came up um, in order to actually design the questions that measure financial literacy among 15 years old. And I hope that from that definition, which I'm going to read for you, uh, you can see that this is very general and certainly doesn't ask to restrict to 15 years old. So, um, first of all, financial literacy doesn't mean just knowledge um, of financial concept, but it means having the knowledge, but also the skills and motivation and confidence to apply it. So, we don't really are not looking just at knowledge by itself, but we are looking at knowledge so that this knowledge can be applied, can be applied to a variety of contexts, and with the objective of making good decisions which increase, fina which increase financial well-being, 
so that individual um, can be better can better participate to economic life. Believe it or not, um, they lock us up um, for three days in a room in a hotel without windows. I'm not kidding. Um, to come up with this definition. I didn't know whether they thought it was, you know, so hard that you need that concentration, but this is how long it took. So there is actually every word as a meaning, and that's why I was telling you, and, you know, with that pain um, in my voice, because we had to really dissect, you know, what it means to be financially literate. And what, you know, what is new perhaps in this definition is that financial literacy as a purpose we just don't want knowledge necessarily for the knowledge, but because people can make better decisions. And also what we have incorporated here is the fact that it's not just individual, but there are also societal concepts that people, um, that there are the participation of um, and decisions that affect not just individual, but society. And also that the ultimate purpose is participation in economic life, which is actually common to all the other um, measure that uh, the PISA does, which is, you know, what they want to measure is knowledge of math and science so that people can better understand the world around them. So in 2012, um, the data was collected, and this is actually the volume that was issued to describe how students fare in financial literacy. So we design a lot of questions to measure this uh, knowledge. And 18 countries and economies participated to this uh, measure of knowledge among 15 years old. And the reason why I reported here the cover of that volume six is because I love the title. Student and Money, Financial Literacy Skills for the 21st Century. They didn't lock us up to come up with that uh, title, but we are particularly uh, um, excited about this title. Um, so I want to describe to you how the countries that participated in this uh, measurement did. Um, and of course, the U.S. also participated in this uh, PISA. And here they are. So the top is Shanghai, China. The bottom is Colombia. My own country, which is Italy. I hope you didn't think this was a Boston accent. <laughs> um, came second to last. Uh, and the US actually is right in the middle. This is actually, in, in our view, an important findings. And I'm going to discuss just briefly some of those findings. Please do consider that the reason why I said countries and economies, some countries only participated partially. So we have Shanghai, China at the top, not just China per se, and also uh, Belgium uh, participated just, uh, um, you know, just the Danish part. And this was so important that sort of the screen went away. Uh, <laughs> but... Um, they, so it's a bit of suspense. We wanted you to look at this again. Um, and, um, you know, I actually want to, uh, the, the report is 200 pages long. So we didn't want to give you more than, I think, this really important ranking. 
Um, and I also want to actually mention a couple of things about this data and perhaps leave more for questions at the end. But there are two important findings for this, which is, you know, when it comes to financial literacy, you know, if you look at the countries with a high GDP per capita, you know, or in other words, if you look at countries that have well-developed financial markets, they don't have students which have high financial literacy. You know, and this is actually to say that, you know, financial literacy is not acquired by breathing the air. It's not acquired by osmosis, right? It's, I mean, even if you live in a country that has, you know, that has very well-developed financial market, you don't necessarily acquire it. So, for example, look at Latvia or Estonia and New Zealand and Australia, and I'm going to come back um, to those countries as well, which, uh, for example, have been quite... Um, aggressive in, for example, adding financial literacy in the school. There is another important finding. Is these 200 pages, there are lots of findings. But there is another which I want to describe, uh, and this actually led to an entire conference we held last year at the OECD. One of the hidden reasons why I also did this project is because it is at the OECD, which is in Paris. Uh, the, the things I want to describe to you is what explains, um, you know, the differences in financial literacy and what it does explain the difference in financial literacy in the United States is one of the countries where this is actually very important is the socioeconomic backgrounds of the student. In other words, the student who display financial literacy are disproportionately students from parents which, which have a college degree or which are high economic status. So in other words, when it comes to financial literacy, we are unequal already in high school. And this inequality is only going to grow. So the conference we had at the OECD in Paris um, last fall was about toward a more equal economy, uh, toward a more equal society. And certainly kind of this finding kind of highlight uh, why this is important. Uh, when we look at the other topic, mathematics and readings, you know, it does compare as well, but certainly financial literacy um, is, you know, it, it does even more in a sense, and certainly for the U.S., that's uh, very important. I wanted to start uh, to talk about financial literacy by looking at the, you know, the young people, the 15 years old, because at the end, and after all, these are the ones who are going to bear this $1.2 trillion of student loan that they are carrying. There is a lot of zero in that trillion, by the way. And, but I want to tell you now, so how about the financial literacy of the adult population? And that's actually what I want to shift uh, um, to now. You know, let's start with the young. Uh, and certainly in comparison across countries, we can say that the young often do not know very much. But let me go now to the adult. And to do so, I want to actually tell you some of the questions we have designed to measure financial literacy among the adult. So um, actually, this was back in 2004. Olivia Mitchell and I designed three questions to measure like really, really basic knowledge. And I want to actually, I listed these questions 
because uh, some of you might have read them. They were in the New York Times, actually, this week. So they were kind of featured. And so, like, the first questions is about, you know, the sense, it's not even really interest compounding, but capacity to do a calculation in the context of interest rate, okay? The question is, suppose you have $100 in a saving account, the interest rate was 2%. After five years, how much do you have in this account if you left the money to grow? Know that we don't ask people to make this calculation in their head. We didn't even say 110, right? So we made it really easy, okay? And so people had to choose the answer to this question. The second question, measure knowledge of inflation. And by the way, the way these are all phrase, um, you know, um, trying to capture how the financial industry, in a sense, communicate to people. So we really are trying to use the same jargon. So actually, again, each, each wording actually has a meaning. So the question is, imagine the interest rate on your saving account was 1% and inflation was 2 Looks like today, right? Even though interest rate is much lower. Um, after a year, with the money in the account, would you be able to buy, buy more exactly the same or less than today? Okay? It's a little bit more complex here. This is also a test of... Do you know the effect of inflation and do you know what inflation is? Okay, so we didn't really say, in a sense, what inflation is. The third question is certainly much more complex. It's a question about risk diversification. It's a joint test of whether people know what uh, a stock or a stock mutual fund is. The question is, do you think the following statement is true or false? Buying a single company stock usually provides a safer return than a stock mutual fund. Right? So this is like asking, do you remember Enron? Right? Um, so, you know, just if you look at these three questions, you know, again, these are not uh, extremely complex. You know, we really wanted to measure basic knowledge. And what I wanted to show you, we were also involved in the data collection. This time is with the regulator. So since 2009, the FINRA Investor Education Foundation has collected new data to measure financial capability in the U.S. And I actually am one of the academic advisors. And let me show you how people fare on those three questions. And what I've reported here is the proportion of people who are able to answer correctly to all these three questions. Okay. And the interesting things, let's look at the young, those who have to bear the $1.2 trillion of student loan. 13% are able to answer correctly to this question. But even when you move on and you look at the population, perhaps, that has made already many financial decisions, right, that have invested in the stock market, in their 401k, right, they've made a lot of decisions about mortgages and so on, half of the population is able to answer to those three questions. Okay? So overall, the financial literacy is not just low among the young, it's also low among the adults. And the reason why this matters, or the reason why we have to care about this, is that financial literacy matters. So we have actually uh, shown in a lot of studies that those who are financially literate are more likely to participate in the stock market, for example, and invest in, in assets which have lower fees, are more likely to plan for retirement, and also are less likely to have problems with that. And actually, I'm going to zoom in, in particular, in this last finding, because there is actually an important study that shows that it's really the capacity to do calculation 
that is strongly linked to uh, whether or not people defaulted on subprime mortgages. And also, it is those with low educational attainment which did not refinance when interest rates were low, uh, did not refinance their mortgage. What I say normally about financial literacy is it's very expensive to be financially illiterate. You pay high cost and high fees, and also you don't take advantage of the opportunity that the financial market offers to you. You know, it's great to have a period of low interest rate, but in fact, people might actually not take fully advantage of that. I wanted to show you one um, project that we did and was also inspired by an early thinker on financial literacy, which is Benjamin Franklin. I love this quote, an investment in knowledge pays the best interest. And it really does. So uh, we actually were able um, to work with the Federal Reserve System. Now I can tell you that we work with the HR of the entire Federal Reserve System, and they gave us the data about the 401k of all their employees. So we actually have administrative data, and um, we gave them the three financial literacy questions plus other questions, and then look at their portfolio. By the way, these PhD people have you know, more financial literacy, which was good to know. Um, and uh, you know, when we actually measure these two, we find that people who have higher financial literacy earn 130 basis points more on their portfolio, of course, taking account of risk. So Benjamin Franklin, um, you know, certainly was right in that. But if you think that, you know, if we consider the fact that people who are more financially literate do better or more savvy on how they invest their money or how to use their money, there, of course, can be consequences on how much wealth they accumulate, not only, but, for example, on inequality. And this is also one of our recent projects looking at how much financial literacy per se, so the fact that you have these skills, can explain wealth inequality. And we look at the wealth of people close to retirement. And we actually show that fin uh, financial literacy can explain from 30 to 40% of the difference in, in wealth close to retirement. Just to make this more visual, to convince my Italian, for example, friend, I actually show what it means you know, to have low wealth versus high wealth. Either you drive the Cinquecento or you drive the big BMW. Okay, so this is one way in which, you know, we can see why it matters. So given this, what, what can we do? In these uh, last few minutes, I actually want to tell you what the research really suggests on what can be done. And actually, that's one of the reasons why kind of I've left an Ivy League institution to really be able to do more and kind of have the research that I do have uh, also application. <coughs> In order to really solve this problem, you know, we need to have programs which are scalable. And in my view, or what the research says, there are three places or three, in a sense, venue that are truly scalable. The school, the workplace, and the local community. So for example, library. You know, if we can reach 
the school, or if we can put financial literacy in the school, we can reach the entire young population. If we can go in the workplace, we can reach a very large share of the population. And if we can be in every library, we can reach, uh, again, a large amount of the population. And so I wanted to say a few things about each of these as well. I actually would have liked to tell you just about this, in a sense, the really importance of having financial literacy in school. In my view, this is critically important. Probably the investment in education is one of the most important decisions in people's life. I always say there is very little that financial literacy can do once you have chosen a lifetime of low and stagnating wages. But uh, today, people start their economic life in debt. So that, per se, I think should be a really important reason why we need financial literacy. And also, we need people to be financially literate before they engage in financial transactions, not after. You know, if you have chosen the wrong mortgage, it's very hard, in a sense, to do much. And also, we need a basis on which to build. One of the reasons why it's so hard to, for example, have financial education program, even in the workplace today, is that people really don't know the basics, right? And so how do we start? Um, so I, you know, if I had to put my money, I would actually put it really in the school. And I, I feel that each time we delay not adding financial literacy in the school, we have a generation which is going to be out in the market, in a sense, not having the skills which are really necessary to live in today's society. Um, I've been a, a professor. Uh, we have started a new course in personal finance at GW. It's called uh, Financial Decision Making, Implication for the Consumer and the Professional. It's, uh, it incorporates, and it's a very rigorous approach, it incorporates finance, accounting, and risk management. And I'm actually even writing a textbook on personal finance. I wanted to tell you also about our student because we have some um, special student. We just not teach the undergraduate and graduate, but we also teach the athletes. <laughs> uh, most of my player, I'm sorry, most of my athletes are football player, which I didn't realize are so big. Um, <laughs> and uh, um, what you might uh, not know is that football player earn in their short career what people earn in a lifetime, and in fact, a multiple of that. But the sad thing is that as soon as they retire, in fact, the very year they retire, many of them go bankrupt. And so we actually wrote a paper about it, um, and uh, we are really trying to do more and more program for this special group of big people. <laughs> um, we also... I've done now a program, for example, to adopt in the workplace, and it's called, it's actually a program um, for young people. Um, so we use a very new method of communication, you know, enough of all this teaching in the classroom. We have a video, actually, where we have hired act actors to actually talk about um, in a simple story, in a sense, you know, the importance, like understanding risk diversification or understanding employer matches. So we have actually done a script free of economic jargon. And so we have cover concepts, which we think are really important. And for example, people know the list. And one of these concepts is risk diversification. Just to give you a sense, actually, you 
The videos are actually posted on the RAND website. So there are five of them. And, you know, this is in a sense a way how we, we thought we could kind of teach in a more innovative way for these millennials. Um, and actually, we tested this, first of all, to show whether it works. And, you know, as you do financial education, you have to actually see that it makes a difference. So we used the RAND American Life panel. And like the doctor, you know, we took different groups of people. Uh, we tested their economic knowledge before the intervention. And then we randomly assigned in different groups. In a group, we give a video. In another, we gave like actually this a story to read. And in the other, we actually gave both. And one group had no treatment, just read a simple book. And what we found is actually being exposed to these videos, which actually teach in a very simple way this concept, not just the knowledge and the confidence increase, but also, even though we targeted this to the young, actually other uh, people as well had, in a sense, the same, the same reaction. And this is really just to tell you that, you know, there is so much uh, lack of knowledge that even simple intervention, which I think, you know, try to teach this concept perhaps in a more easy to uh, grasp way can actually go a long way. Um, we have actually done a lot of programs for the workplace education, and one of the most perhaps interesting projects is the one we did for the New York Stock Exchange Foundation. So the New York Stock Exchange hired us to do a program that can be targeted to different firms and of different sizes, and so that, you know, we can, you know, if somebody or if a company wants to start a financial education program, they have already a basis on which to build. And, you know, we have different stages. We have customized it for different employees. And we have also, you know, a system so that we can provide a lot of suggestions and advice for those employees. Um, and this is just the second part, in a sense, how to improve financial education in the workplace. And finally, I wanted to tell you about a museum of savings in Italy. As you know, in Italy, we have 5,000 museums, and now we have a new one. But this time, it's about savings, and actually, it's about uh, financial literacy, and it's about learning about finance. It is in Turin, and this little ant is the mascot of the museum, so you actually go through the museum and, you know, kind of, uh, you go through literally the history of money throughout time. And it's a way, in a sense, to appreciate money and monetary uh, policy and finance. Um, and the Central Bank of Italy is now starting as well a new museum. So we'll have two museums in Italy new museum. And in fact, we are leading a federation of finance museums around the world. And this is, again, another way in which one can put financial literacy into the places that people go to learn. And we hope that this museum, for example, can be as well ambassador of financial literacy. So to conclude, financial literacy today is like reading and writing. You know, if you are illiterate, if you are unable to read and write, clearly you cannot participate to society, right? You need to have that basic skill. But today, you also need to be financially literate because right at the beginning, very important decisions really are waiting each of us. And like 
at the OECD volume. You know, it is a fundamental skill that everybody needs to live in today's society, but it's sufficiently complex that we cannot leave it to the individual just to learn by himself or themselves. And I want to end with two quotes just to, that I particularly like when we talk about financial literacy. One is about the fact that financial literacy is the best line of defense. It's the best line of defense against the pro proliferation of financial products and services that are unsuitable, unnecessarily costive or abusive. When I gave this quote to my football player, they said, they actually love it, they said, of course, the way to win a game is to have a good defense. So the game here was played by a big player, which is Chairman Bernanke. <laughs> um, so I love this quote, and Chairman Bernanke is actually a very, very passionate about financial literacy. When he was chairman of the Fed, he would actually hold session with teachers of financial literacy. But finally, I want to leave you with, I think, the most important point, which is financial literacy is a complex but solvable problem. It always seems impossible until it's done. This is kind of, I think, the best way to perhaps end this talk. And um, I do it, you know, not just living with this, I think, great quote of Nelson Mandela, but also with the hope that you too can become ambassador of financial literacy. Thank you. We'll come around with the microphone, and um, and then you can ask your question. Uh, hi. So the chart that you, one of the charts that you showed, uh, told us that by now we have people, you know, in their 60s, only half of whom know what they're doing as far as investment, investing their retirement funds. A lot of them have these defined contribution yes. uh, plans. So are there any plans for what to do when these people don't have enough money to retire on? And who's going to deal with it? This is actually a very important question because, you know, I don't know that there is a plan, right? But I think you speak of something which is very important, which is, you know, the problem of financial illiteracy is not a problem just on the individual, but it's also a problem of society. And I think, you know, the financial crisis has told us that when substantial number of people make mistakes, the taxpayer will pay for those mistakes. Right. Which I think that's why it's very important to do prevention. Right. I think actually the cost of having people accumulate little for retirement is going to be too high. It's going to be too high for the individual and it's going to be also high for society. And, you know, and I think we really need to pay attention to this. I mean, you know, like this, this shift in the pension system is, in my view, a very important reason why we need to add at least financial literacy in the schools. By the way, it's not going to be the silver bullet. It's not that we are transforming people in little Warren Buffett who are going to know <laughs> how to invest, right? But at least they would know a, a thing of two before they, you know, have to choose, like, where to invest or what to do. Um, and I think, you know, it could translate into a big problem. We haven't seen it yet because the DC pension are not mature, right? I mean, people are still, people who are retiring today, they, they have lived at least half of their life with a DB pension. So we haven't seen yet what the DC pension is going to be like, and it could be ugly. So we have another question back here on your right. Thank you. 
Um, I was wondering if you knew what the, uh, the financial literacy for the citizens of Chile uh, is because I didn't notice uh, Chile on your chart. And the reason I ask is uh, Chile has a private social security system. And because citizens um, are responsible for funding their own retirement, I'm wondering if that forces its citizens to be more financially literate, you know, due to necessity. Yeah, so this is actually a great question. We, you know, Chile did not participate to this assessment, but there has been a little work done mostly for the adults. You know, and I think it speaks of one of the points I was making earlier, which is that, you know, clearly if there are, you know, incentive and reason to be financially literate, right, you know, people will try to do more. But the question is, you know, will it be effective, right? And also, how do you learn more? And that's why, you know, if, if we don't provide programs, for example, in the school or in the workplace, where do they learn? And people we have seen learn mostly from people around them, which is a little bit scary sometimes, right? Because, you know, maybe they are just learning kind of the same mistake. Um, so, you know, we do see in the U.S., I haven't studied Chile, um, you know, a lot, but we do see in the U.S. that people who have, for example, a DC pension, right, seem to know a little more. But they, again, you know, it's hard to infer because, of course, people have a DC pension, tend to have better jobs, you know, higher income and so on. I think... I think it's probably going to happen, but in my view, we can't just leave it because there is an incentive for people to learn, right, that they will necessarily learn more. And again, these topics are complex. Um, so, you know, we don't see a lot of evidence so far that people learn so much that, you know, we don't need, in a sense, programs, um, you know, for financial literacy. But, you know, very, very good point. First, thank you. I actually, I think financial literacy is incredibly important, um, but I wanted to switch to the opposite as well, which is what the regulatory response should be, because it seems that most of the complexity that you're describing is by design, uh, and that we are essentially allowing a very predatory financial services industry to uh, prey on the financially illiterate. And that's not something we do in medicine, and it's not something we do with our food supply, and it's not something we do with safety in any other industry, but it seems that we have this ability to do that with an industry yeah. that has just as consequential yeah. uh, decisions you know, on people's really, lives. It's a really, really great point. Um, you know, faced with, you know, with this population that knows so little, right, what can we do, right? And I think one important thing that can, can be done is make the system, right, be not as complex, right? So let's try to simplify the system. Let's try to simplify financial decision. And let's also try to get rid of things which are truly bad for the individual, right? I mean, this is actually a very new thinking. And as you know, you know, even an institution like the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau is very, very new, right? And I think they are actually thinking of their ways, you know, what can be done. Um, so I think actually there are very important roles here, both for education, but also for consumer protection, Right? We need to create a structure that makes financial decision, you know, easy, safe, kind of, and, you know, and really helps those decisions. Are we helping people when we give them a choice of 250 mutual funds? Right? Um, but again, you know, as Einstein said, you should make things simple, but not simpler. Right? And so that's where I think like, the difficulty lies. Um, and also, I think too many people have been thinking of, you know, uh, about uh, 
protection and regulation and financial literacy as an or, or, you know, like as an alternative, they are really complementary. I mean, I, I think, you know, you are the best line of defense for your financial well-being, but I think regulators as well have to be there to make sure that this system works. And if I can give an analogy, I think a, a way to think maybe of financial literacy, and again, because I am Italian, is driving, right? No, you know, like at the end, what do we, driving is very complex, and most people don't know how to do it. Um, and, you know, but what have we done, right? Before we let people be on the wheels, right, we make sure that they have a driving license, right? It doesn't mean that you can run, you know, you can run Formula One, right? But at least you know um, a few things of the road, but we have also closed down the, you know, the dangerous road. We put up sign, you know, we put up speed limit, right? And I think, you know, that could be similar. And police, and there are police officer, right? So I think that's important. But let's also, also consider one of the things, and I think this is actually really important, which is financial markets are inherently risky, right? I mean, you can't take away the risk, right? And so, you know, when people say, well, you know, we want products which are not risky, well, financial markets are. That's what you have to deal with. But let's take, but let's have police officer, as you said, and let's actually put up the sign when the road is really dangerous. Um, earlier this year, I read in the UK Daily Mail about a gentleman. He died at 92 from Vermont. He yes. worked 25 years in a gas station, 17 years as a janitor at J.C. Yep. Penney's. He was the first to graduate high school in his family. And he donated six million dollars to the local hospital and library, and had two million, like eight million dollars. Yeah. What did he know that we didn't know? <laughs> it's a great question. It's actually a great question. I have to tell you. So let me start with the economist answer first. It's going to be very hard to replicate that today, <laughs> because you know he had something working for him, right? Like, he had a very high return on the stock market, right? He invested in the stocks that, you know, he knew, but, you know, stock market had a great return. He had inflation that wiped out his debt, right? And so there were, like, a few things working on his um, favor. But, uh, you know, nobody says that this person wasn't financially literate, which is, you know, one of the main messages to me of financial literacy is really understand the power of interest compounding, which actually means that you understand the importance of starting to save early, right? And the importance of really investing wisely. You know, this actually really goes a very long way to do so. So like in the things he has done, I think there is a lot of, you know, the suggestion that we really use in personal finance. I mean, Benjamin Franklin, I think we probably add a, a couple of the suggestions in there. So I think, you know, that good, in a sense, final, that, that good basic financial management really goes a long way. And I have to say, you know, for some things, finance is simple, right? I mean, start to save young, and this is going to be really important, right? And that's why, in my view, I'm very worried today about the DC pension. Because, you know, these DC pensions are not going to work if people don't contribute when they are young. It's not going to work. You know, you cannot support 
30 year of retirement with a 40 year career where you only contribute 15 years, right? So, you know, these things are really important. And I don't know whether we can replicate what he did, but we should all should. I was thinking about the idea of financial literacy. I'm a teacher or was a teacher. And um, it seems to me that financial literacy has a lot to do with applied mathematics so that it's its own topic. As I recall, we um, would have a unit on on how mathematics applies to money. Yeah. And that this could easily be, it's already in play if there was time in the day to right. emphasize it. Yeah. So I agree with you. But I have to say, it's more than math, right? There are lots of concepts that here that, you know, where we explain that are not related to math. One of these are your uh, responsibility, right? And responsibility, right? So, you know, there are lots of things, actually, a lot of concepts. And when actually we designed the question for the OECD, many of these questions have nothing to do with math, you know? Right. <laughs> right. Right. No, but 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 I, you know, I agree that, you know, in fact, and if you know math, you're probably going to appreciate financial literacy more. So if if you know, because curriculum are very crowded, right, one of the recommendations is let's put it in the topic that might best fit and one is math. But I have still a reservation because if we start putting it in these topics, it's not going to grow as a consistent topic. Right. I mean, financial literacy, you know, will be learned in the same way in which we learn every other topic. Right. Starting early and continuing. You know, we haven't learned history in one course. We haven't learned math in one course. We haven't learned geography in one course. Right. We have to really start early and build on it. Simply thought that math uh, is about numbers and numbers are abstract, but the most concrete form of. the use of numbers is one's economic well-being. It's what is concrete about numbers. Absolutely. I mean, so, I'm not. I'm not denying that it should be in there. I mean, I think it's a great combination. But I just hope that you know, if if we put it in there, it won't stop kind of financial literacy for being a well-developed set of courses, right? But otherwise, I think it fits very nicely into math, and it will also make math. Right. And it will make math more interesting as well. I think uh, you will agree with me that uh, an important part of financial planning is to have health insurance because a lot of bankruptcies are caused by people who have huge medical bills. Um, we very regrettably saw, uh, due to po- politics, uh, we saw how Fox News educa- quote-unquote educates their viewers to pay the penalty instead of sign up for health insurance. So how do we overcome this, I don't know what to call it other than lunacy of uh, where you get people being advised to pay penalty and not to take health insurance, which is so important. You know, uh, can I go a little further? Uh, even, you know, like I think in my view, for example, the reason why we have seen so many politicians become, you know, um, so populist, right? I think it, it really speaks on the fact that people have little information, right? That people have this low level of financial Sorry. literacy. And so like in so Europe, for example, or in Italy, you know, people think so like, you know, you should get out of the euro. I mean, there are really, there are really, really important consequences, you know, but again, you can do this, right? The more you have in front of you a population that might not have, you know, in a sense that, that grasp. You know, the news and the the media play a very important role on this, right? And sometimes I wonder whether they cater to people rather than, you know, having a, an education role. 
Um, so, you know, in my view, actually, there is a danger uh, to be financially literate today, also in terms of almost the basic democracy. You know, we are asking people to vote on economic reform that they actually don't grasp or do not understand, right? So what does that vote really mean? Uh, to carry on a little further what the lady over there was saying, I also am a retired teacher, and I'm wondering what the response is of schools to your... I, I don't understand the mechanics of how this happens. It is vitally important that students be reached with this. Do you have a curriculum prepared and you go to high school X and talk to the principal and the principal says, oh, we'd love to teach this? I wish I could do that. And I'm actually willing to do it in any school in the United States, literally. Visit each of them. So uh, we have now finally a curriculum, which I think was a very important achievement. So the Council for Economic Education put together a group of experts, and they design what are called national standards for financial literacy. So you probably as a teacher really grasp a very important concept, which is what is it you teach in that course, right? And if we, you know, financial literacy is like every other course, right? If you teach modern history, you know what's in the curriculum, right? If you teach algebra, you know what's in the curriculum. So th that curriculum has been designed now. The question is, it's really up to the school to adopt it. And as you might know, some of the states have mandated financial literacy in the school, in the high schools. Okay, But some states did not. And so it's very much up to the school to have it. Okay, And again, and this is, I think, what is going to create a lot of disparities, for example, among the high school students, because some will be exposed and some won't be exposed to it. I wish I could answer this question, but I know um, uh, that, you know, education is mandated at the state level, right? And so some states have adopted and some have not. And I think, you know, one of the concerns I, I hear from a lot of uh, the school principal is, you know, curriculum are already crowded, right? We don't have room for this, you know, and I think even sometime, you know, one of the things you also have to do, which um, I hope... Uh, uh, you will appreciate is we also need to train the teachers. You know, a lot of the teachers say, you know, we are not equipped to or we are not confident to teach this course. So there will be, there, are, there need to be resources spent into this. And so we haven't seen yet as many schools adopt that. Uh, thank you. Uh, Los Angeles uh, recently approved a $15 an hour living wage for all workers. Santa Monica City Council last week just... Uh, has proposed that, and our uh, new uh, member of the Board of Supervisors, Sheila Kuehl, is proposing a $15 living wage for all workers in the county. Mm -hmm. Shouldn't that be part of some financial literacy to engage the young people and workers and the equality and fairness of what really is going to happen in, in, in this whole equation? Shouldn't that be seen as a positive thing? I hope that actually in the definition I put of financial literacy, you know, we had also put in there that, you know, financial literacy is to understand, you know, like make decision for the well-being of individual, but also for the well-being of society, right? That individual have to understand the socioeconomic context in which they live, right? The rules in which they, in a sense, um, you know deal with and, you know, the consequences of some of these economic actions, 
So I actually think that, you know, there is a role for financial literacy, for example, in understanding what a living wage is, right, um, you know, or what could be you know, the effect of changes in some of the policies and so on. And actually, I would say that now that the wages have been increased, it would also be important to add financial literacy to that workplace because, you know, it would be very important for people to know how to manage actually that money. You know, what my concern is, you know, often, you know, even in this, some, some of these welfare benefits we give to people, you know, they might go, you know, end up going in the pockets of payday lenders, right? Because often people, you know, manage their money in a, you know, in an expensive way, right? And that's why, you know, financial illiteracy is very expensive for the individual and I think eventually for society. So I think there's some interesting similarities to other fields such as nutrition and fitness. So we get a lot of information. We do a good job of getting information to people. An interesting similarity is to nutrition and fitness where we're doing better about getting information into people's hands, but it doesn't always actually lead to better outcomes. Um, In terms of getting better outcomes financially, what are some um, framing effects? Did you come across any like framing effects, anything you can do? Um, circumstantially or in, in situations for people to help them actually make better decisions beyond just giving them more information? Because I think we've seen before that sometimes more information doesn't always lead to better outcomes. Um, yeah, but at the yeah. end of the day, that's the goal. Uh, yeah, I totally agree. And that's also why, I mean, first of all, we have to be a little humble, right? I mean, you know, financial literacy, again, is going, not going to transform people into financial experts, right? It's my, you know, if they make them more confident in the decision they make, that's really important. But, you know, of course, we are very keen on understanding, you know, outcome. And so that's why, you know, in a, I think actually having the skill and having the information is an important step because often we have even taken that step. And then there are lots of other things like nudges, right, that we can use so that people can use that knowledge and they don't have to make a lot of effort, right? I mean, we have made it, we make it very easy to, very difficult to save. It's so easy to borrow, Right, we we said like to save like takes like ten step, right? So here like there is uh, some of that. You know, framing is important, and I think it becomes very important because when people have little information, right, how we give that information really matter, right? And so, you know, ways for example in which we can simplify that information, and I think you know make it appealing to the people is critically important. And in my view, is also we need to take into account those transitions that people have where they have to make very important decisions, right? I mean, I actually don't understand why is it that, you know, when people transition from college, right, to the workplace, this would be a great time where we can have, for example, program and intervention. When people transition from retirement to after retirement, where people transition from high school to college, right? There are many, many, I think, important transition time where we start a new job, Right, where I think we can do a lot more from that. And actually, we have, we have actually a very long sections on these things, and also behavioral economics has, has told us about many of these things that we have actually tried to use in our programs as well. And I think it is important because, like health, you know, financial literacy is about the future, right? So you pay a cost today, in a sense, to have a better outcome later on. I've, I've spent a lot of time in financial literacy education the last 15 years. The paradox with high school, which yep. high school and college, the, the paradox is it's the perfect time to teach them stuff because their brains are still spongy, but they're not yet fully immersed in making those, those decisions. 
And those decisions mm -hmm. are much more behavioral than they are mathematic. Right. And so it takes a different way of teaching than standard curriculum and tests and multiple choice questions, et cetera. And it also takes a different way of thinking, starting with the government, um, that the business cycle has been replaced primarily by political uh, policy. Hmm. Um, you can really attribute the gains in the stock market since 1982 to Reagan. So here's my question. Um, starting with the government, what would you change to make financial literacy more of a reality and of importance to the people? I'm going to say it, um, which is, you know, as much as uh, economists are against mandates and are against, um, you know, like imposing things to people, I actually think it's really important to mandate financial literacy in the schools because I think we need to create a basis on which to uh, learn. And I think, you know, we need like good way to do that. And having that, I think will also make politicians potentially, I think, you know, dealing more likely to be dealing with a population which is better informed, you know, and I would love to do financial literacy among the politicians and actually figure out whether they have financial literacy. It's very hard to have them participate in my kind of initiative, but I think we have to think about that. You know, I come, of course, from a country which has a long tradition of like, um, you know, budget deficits and so on. And I can still actually remember the statement of one of our politicians when we actually had to reform the pension system. That people said, you know, God, you know, this like they formulate this problem as if it was like a numerical problem. You know, now we have to think of numbers. You know, now we have to think of, you know, uh, not being able to have a sustainable system. And, you know, like they really want to think in a different way. Right. Think that, you know, there is it's too easy in a sense to argue there is not a problem. Right. Or get away from the numbers. But. Um, I, I really do think it's critically important to have at least that basic knowledge and also hold the politician to a higher standard. Thank you, Anna, for making us literate about financial literacy. Um, and many thanks to you all for coming. Thank you and good night. This presentation is provided as a public service by the RAND Corporation. To learn how you can attend programs at RAND, visit us online at www.rand.org events.